Welcome to Dental Brain Crops. I'm your host, Chelsea Myers, and today I'm joined with Matt Allen, CEO and co-founder of Different Kind. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So tell us just a little bit about yourself, if you would. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like um, I have, you know, one one job now. In the past, I've had a lot, so it's a little bit easier. Uh, but I'm a dentist by training. Uh, I uh, graduated dental school 2010 from the University of Colorado. I live in Colorado in the mountains, about two and a half hours southwest of Denver. Okay. Um, and I am the founder of a software company that enables dental professionals to measure and improve patient experience. And I'm sure we'll talk all about why that's important and, and kind of some more of my background, but that's a little bit about me right now. Awesome. I, yeah. I live in a very rural area. So I've got my, you know, small towns, big ideas shirt on today okay. from the Center on Rural Innovation. I think that's a big part of our story as well. Um, you know, that you don't have to live in, in Denver, you know, if, if you're in Colorado or whatever, to, to be, you know, an innovator and to be someone who's driving the profession forward. Yeah, absolutely. So are you a dentist by trade? I am, yes. Okay. So is that how you became exposed to the need that you're now filling with the software or talk to me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, I'll kind of share a little bit of back backstory there because I think it's probably helpful. Um, so I... Uh, worked for a federally qualified health center in Denver for a number of years, uh, was dental director there. And one of my mentors, who's a medical director at one of the clinics, um, introduced me to what's called motivational interviewing. And for those of you who may be familiar as a listener uh, with motivational interviewing, that's awesome. If you're not, it is uh, an evidence-based <laughs> behavior methodology to help people make behavior changes. So it started in addiction therapy, kind of came to primary care. So obesity management, diabetes management, asthma, things like that. Um, and so I looked around, you know, after learning about it from Ed and said, you know, where's this in dentistry? And there were some studies that were kind of coming out, but there was really no one out there who was a dentist or a dental professional that I could really find at the time, um, who was actively teaching people how to do it. So um, I'm one of two dentists in the world currently, who's a member of Mint, um, which is the Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers. There are several hygienists here in this country as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so I've been consulting for the last six years, trying to help dental professionals around the world learn and apply the style. And one of the big questions that we kept getting was, how do I measure this? How do I do it better? How do I really know? Um, and so that was some of the genesis for what we've started and kind of, you know, my, uh, background and understanding why this might be important. Yeah, that is interesting and important. So, um, maybe to understand this piece better, talk to me more about mint. Why is this important? Yeah. Uh, so I think that when we think about communication in general, uh, when certainly my dental school experience and I'm, you know, volunteer faculty at the University of Colorado School of Dental Medicine now. So I actually do get to go back and teach the students a little bit about communication. Um, but, you know, there's 200,000 dentists in this country and most of them um, have had little to no training in like evidence based communication strategies. Um, I think it's just like, oh, well. I know how to, you know, look at teeth. And so I'm a dentist and that's very true. Right. But, um, there's obviously a big, inter you know, part of any healthcare interaction that involves talking with patients. And I think one of the things that's good to know is that there are evidence-based strategies that make that communication either effective or not effective, um, in terms of helping the patients make behavior change, helping the patients feel loyal to the dental practice, helping the patients keep coming back all of those pieces. And so motivational interviewing is just one of those. Certainly in our platform, you know, we, we employ a number of different, you know, kind of strategies for how we think about that. Um, but I think in general, um, you know, we like to go to the evidence and say, 
what actually makes sense and how do we get better at this? So uh, for us, that's a kind of a big genesis uh, for what we're doing. And, and Mint is simply the kind of parent organization for people who have said, yes, this is important. We want to teach and train people on how to do this um, in general. So, you know, some of those are bigger organizations and, you know, or people, you know, a lot of organizations uh, or people within an organization, um, sorry. And some of them are just kind of, you know, one-off people, so. So what would the symptoms be if you're trying to self-diagnose? Am I doing good in this area? Am I not? How do I know if I need to come get some training in this communications area specialty that you have? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, so I, th I think for us, you know, that's some of what our software helps people do, right, is to understand what your starting point is. And so simply listening to patients, understanding, you know, how patients are currently responding to you. Um, because I think a lot of times we just, you know, no one has that data, right? And so what is that data actually saying? Uh, and no matter what that data says, whether it's saying, hey, look, you're, you know, not doing so well in some of these things, you're not doing a great job of listening to your patients or partnering with them effectively or, you know, whatever it might be, um, or you are doing well in some of those areas. I think one of the spaces that I also don't think we learn about a lot in dental school is just the idea of kind of continuous quality improvement. And when I say dental school, I mean hygiene school and dental professional school as well. Yeah. Not, not excluding anyone from that, uh, from that umbrella. Um, sometimes actually hygienists do it much better than dental, uh, than dentists do. So, uh, but all that to say, um, the idea of kind of continuous quality improvement, no matter where you're at right now, you have to measure it first. You have to know where you're at. And then from there, you can make a plan to actually get better, um, and do that. And again, that's what kind of thing, what we're helping people do on the back end of, of what we're doing. Okay. Okay. So I've got a practice and I would come to you and I would be like, Hey, I want to know how good we're doing. I think we're doing okay. Obviously we're still in business, but want to know what my areas of opportunity are. And that would be, is this one of the areas that this is where you introduce the software? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and we, we really look at patient experience and outcomes, right? So we're not looking at financials. We're not looking, there's lots of elements of things that, you know, we think other people out there are doing a great job at, and that's totally fine. Um, for us, we kind of look at our opportunity as what is the experience from the patient, from the moment the patient walks through the door or, you know, gets onto the teledental platform call or whatever it might be from the moment they're interacting with a healthcare professional in real mm -hmm. time till the time they leave that interaction, how do we best optimize that situation in general? I mean, we certainly measure a few other things, but that's, that's kind of where we see, you know, our, our opportunity to help practices. Okay. So you make your assessment and then you um, share with your clinician, hey, here's here's kind of what we're thinking. Is your training specifically with like with specific people or do you work with the whole team? How does that process work? Yeah. So we measure, you know, the the data that we have is linked to providers. Um, mm -hmm. So a dentist, a hygienist, you know, something like that. Um, but that doesn't mean that certainly the whole office office doesn't have opportunities to improve. And so we take other ways of kind of gathering some of that feedback um, and then helping the office improve in general. Um, not just, Hey, you know, here's, here's what this looks like for the dentist or the hygienist or whatever. And certainly this, the, you know, kind of strategies and the styles that we're talking about are, are applicable to everyone in the office as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So you start, you work with some people, then as they're learning it, then they can implement it with their team and mm -hmm. train their team in those areas as well. That's neat. Yeah. Okay. So, um, is this, so we're talking about two things here. We're really talking about the communications coaching and then we're talking about the software that monitors it. Um, do they always work together or do they, do you do them separately? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I think I, that's where we started in the past was just like doing the like training and whatever. And we just continued to get that question of like, this is great. Um, I mean, I think we've all had those experiences where we do some training or we go do a CE or something like that. But it's like, how do you actually, how does that, you know, have yes. lasting changes into the future? How do you keep it from being a camp experience that, you know, was really fun <laughs> at camp. And then all of a sudden you come home and you're like, oh, I'm not a camp anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going back to doing the exact same thing. So, I, you know, that's really why we started. Not that you can't separate those two things uh, from each other, but I think we see it to be most effective when there is continual monitoring of that, you know, moving forward, no matter how well or, or, or you know, poorly you might be, you know, where, where your starting point is there. Mm hmm. Cool. Okay. So what would be one of the areas that you see the most immediate benefit in when you come in and do your initial training? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think we look at the elements that some of the elements that are that like are really core to what we've always done and what we've what we've always been about and what I really care about just in general as a person are things like partnership, are things like empathy, are things like listening. Those are really fundamental human interactions that can define how well or poorly you view the other person. And especially in a healthcare setting where trust is of critical importance, uh, those are the kind of behaviors that tend to lend themselves to say, hey, I trust this person, right? Um, just because you have a degree from Harvard on the wall doesn't really mean that much to me. Like if you can't listen to me, if you can't understand me, if you can't work with me, uh, you know, it's generally not going to go that well. And so um, those are the things that I think we really look at as these are just critical fundamental, fundamental areas when it comes to building patient trust, when it comes to enhancing patient loyalty. Um, you can have all the nice tech features and all of that stuff you want. Uh, but if you come in and your patient doesn't feel heard, doesn't feel listened to, doesn't feel like you're involving them, doesn't feel like you care, um, they're going to find somewhere else eventually. And that might, that eventually might be very soon. So, yeah. And what's really interesting is when you're communicating with people, um, it is an art to discover how to communicate in a way that is best received, because I think there are a lot of instances where people are being empathetic, but not in the way that the other person receives that message of empathy. And so I love what you're doing here. I love it a lot. Are there any, I can see how important it is across the board, but are there any specific situations that this shows up and is it a really big benefit or is a hindrance if it's not in place? That's a great question. So one of the founders of motivational, this has always stuck with me, but one of the founders of motivational interviewing, a Welsh guy named Steve Rolnick, um, said one time that when I was listening to him talk, he said, you know, every patient interaction is of crucial importance, but the first interaction is the most important. And the first five to 10 seconds of that very first interaction is the most important, right? So I always just kind of come back to that as, hey, that very first impression, that very first visit, that very first, here's here's how we're going to set the expectations for the rest of our relationship um, mm -hmm. are really important. And I think that that's important in healthcare relationships. It's important in friendships. It's important in, you know, romantic relationships, whatever relationships you might be involved in. Um, you know, that first interaction is going to do a lot of expectation setting and not that you can't change those over time, uh, but it's going to require work at that point if you need to change something about what's happening. And so hopefully uh, what, you know, we're working on and enabling dental professionals to do is to really establish those expectations of this is what you can expect. And this is why it's different than, you know, what I joke with people that I've spent the last five years or six years trying to forget that I'm a dentist so I can better understand the patient perspective. And when you really listen to patients and ask patients and, and really understand patients, I think in general, there's a lot of frustration. 
Um, there's a lot of what I like to say is well-meaning paternalism within our profession of, you know, people come in, they're like, yeah, I floss 15 minutes before because I know I'm going to get yelled at and I don't want to get yelled at. And, you know, like it's just mm -hmm. this kind of really bad cycle that I think we've gotten ourselves into as a profession in some ways. Um, and so we need to reset those expectations of what's possible and, and what a good functional relationship between a dentist and a patient or a hygienist and a patient or a office manager and a patient can and should look like. Yeah, what's really cool too, circling back to your first, you know, first interaction being super important is that um, there aren't a whole lot of knowns when you're first meeting someone, it, you know, you're shooting from the hip on that, hoping that it's well received and that you pick up on their nonverbals quickly enough to establish that good rapport. And so what I love about what you're offering is, um, hey, in many, many scenarios, best case, this is a way that we can approach it that is well received by a lot of people. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say? 100%, right? And I think that that's where we go back and look at the evidence on a lot of this stuff, right? Like it's not a silver bullet. It's not the magic thing that's just going to make every single interaction go perfectly, right? Because you can't make one style right. or one, whatever, but we can look at the evidence and say, in general, what are the most effective ways of doing this? And what are the styles and strategies that are kind of employed within those, those techniques? Um, so I, th I think when we look at it like that, um, we start to get this general sense of, okay, here's, here's what is a helpful way of communicating with patients as a healthcare professional, uh, mm -hmm. and here's what's not. And here's how we can then apply that moving forward. And when we find those situations where it's not, we can be emotionally intelligent enough to pick up on that and to have other strategies and to have other ways of, of handling that situation that can be really effective uh, as well. Yeah, I bet that, you know, side benefit probably transfers as a benefit to personal relationships, you know, being a good neighbor, all kinds of things. Just um, this added level of awareness about when you're communicating with someone, what they might be thinking, feeling and how to best um, communicate your message, considering all of those components. Yeah, there's I mean, so I'm a parent. I have three little boys. Uh, they're seven, five and two. And, you know, so we're always trying to apply some of this as well to our parenting and whatnot and, you know, reading lots of books on that and whatever. And there's a book called How to Talk So Your Kids Will Listen and Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. And it was written in the 70s um, and by a couple of psychologists, I think, and they, you know, kind of have updated it over the years. But a lot of the skills are the same uh, in terms of what is the difference between affirmation and praise? And generally we want to affirm people. We don't want to praise them, right? I'm proud of you is different than you're working hard. Um, and so like, if I'm talking with my kids, right, I'm saying you're working really hard. Of course, I'm proud of you too, but you're working hard and that's more well-received than I'm proud of you. Um, because the I'm proud of you is yes. about me. The you're working hard is about you. And it's me recognizing that effort and that, you know, uh, whatever it might take to, to get to where they are. So we can, we can then obviously apply that to our patients, uh, as well, you know, it goes, goes both ways for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So what would you say is one of the biggest ahas when you start working with someone? That's a great question. Um, I would say that one of the biggest ahas around some of that is just how difficult it can be um, for, for, you know, pra for practitioners, right? Because you generally have people who are really highly intelligent, who are really thoughtful, who are really smart, uh, in lots of ways, but the, I, I often liken this to kind of like learning an instrument or something like that. Right. So if you sit down at the piano, you can make it make noises. And that's kind of how I think about like our general communication, right? Like we can make noises. <laughs> um, now, 
you know, oftentimes that, you know, comes off to, to a highly trained ear and even not to a highly trained ear, that can be a cacophonous sound, right? But if we want to make something beautiful, it really does take the time and energy and effort to sit down and learn and to, you know, practice and to do that really well. And so I think a lot of times uh, as a dental professional, I'll speak for myself here, right? I want the quick fix. I want the easy thing. I want the like, I want to move from a third generation bonding agent to a seventh generation bonding agent that's just going to work better. And I use it almost the exact same, right? So I don't really have to do anything. Um, now, if you tell me something of, hey, I've got to sit down and work at this over time, and it's going to be a life journey to continually improve, and I'm never going to reach the true destination, that's a harder thing to think about, right? Um, I think we all think about that in general of like, I want to become a better practitioner and whatever. But um, for some reason, I think when it comes to communication, oftentimes we're like, I don't really need to pay attention to that. Or I don't need to do that. And then when they start to really sit down and do it, it's really hard to break out of the habits that you've been in. So um, there's a really interesting book called How to Change Your Mind by a guy named Michael Pollan that looks at uh, you know, kind of LSD and psilocybin. And uh, we will, I won't get super into that, but I think the really interesting part about those uh, compounds and the research that he talks about in that book is that there's been a lot of research pre Timothy Leary and the kind of LSD movement and whatever, right. That was like, Hey, these are really effective. And this is kind of coming back. Now we, we see a big wave of this coming back, but these are really effective for helping people uh, reduce addictive behavior. So smoking, drinking, things like that. Right. Um, if you use some of those compounds in the right setting and in the right way with the right kind of trained clinicians, you can have fantastic results when, you know, when it comes to people, you know, helping them quit smoking. And the analogy that they give is that for an addicted brain, uh, you kind of just deeply rut your brain out, right? So imagine that you are, you know, kind of doing these behaviors from the bottom of this like big canyon, you know, that's got these big high narrow walls and you can't even imagine what, you know, the beyond that canyon would look like. Um, and then, you know, in these situations, right, those compounds and the therapists help you actually get above the, the walls of that uh, canyon and actually see outside of them. And I see similar things for the way, you know, for all of the behaviors in our life, but certainly how we communicate, right? Like we've just kind of done the same thing, deeply rutted, you know, our brain in a certain way. And we can't even imagine what it's like to see over the other side. And, and hopefully a lot of what we do is raising people up, you know, without LSD or, or magic mushrooms or anything like that, but raising people up to say, Hey, here's what beyond the Canyon looks like. And here's what's possible. Um, and once you see that, you say, Oh, wow. Yeah, there is something really here. So that's an analogy that's helpful for me as I think about, you know, my, my rutted communication of, Hey, this is just what I've always done. And sometimes I just need that lift to kind of help me see what's possible. Yeah, right, that's that so good. interesting. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, no, no. I like your answer. And it got me thinking. Um, a while back, I was asked to come facilitate um, a group meeting at this uh, residential treatment center, actually. And they were really focusing in on this was like a, a, a loved one and an addicted person. And the loved one was having their turn to express, you know, why did you ever do this? Why would you have ever tried these things? And um, after a while of this, I just, I said, you know what, guys, we need to stop for a second. I want to know, why did you do it again? What problem did that solve for you? So I think even when we're talking about things like communication, there are some, um, we, we hesitate or we're reluctant to say certain things, or we realize we messed up. And so rather than going and fixing it and correcting, you know, the, you know, clarifying, um, I notice that there can sometimes be these uh, fears of bringing it back up. Like if, you know, if I go correct that thing, now I've got to bring it back up. Maybe they stop thinking about it. I've got to bring it back up and I've got to own that I said it wrong or miscommunicated. And now I've got to go 
be uncomfortable and trying again to communicate the right way. And so there's all these reasons that even when people are aware um, that there's an area of opportunity to improve communication, that it may just not be as high on the list. But I'm curious to know from you, what is the what is the result that you're seeing and after how long of working on these things? Yeah, you know, I think for us, and, you know, this is where I always just go back to the literature again and kind of say, hey, like, what are the outcomes that we see? And, you know, what is what is happening out there with this kind of, um, you know, th these kinds of things. So for us, you know, our software has been on the market for six months. It's not really, you know, long enough time, you know, to have these huge, big sweeping conclusions. But we can look at literature that's been out there, you know, in medical settings. And when we look at this stuff, right, and I think that you just see really important outcomes when we think about changing healthcare for the better for both providers, for patients, you know, for everyone. Um, we see outcomes like when you focus on patient experience, you see, you know, incre increased employee retention. We all know that's a huge issue right now. We see decreased malpractice claims. We see increases in quality, safety, and efficiency. We see increases in treatment adherence, right? So we see all of these really great outcomes for everyone, uh, for patients, for clinicians alike. And so those are the kinds of things that we're continually working to prove out, you know, through our platform. But I know that dentists and medis, medical providers and whatnot are much more similar than they are dissimilar. Right? We always want mm -hmm. to include oral health and, and like, hey, health is a part of oral, oral health. Um, and that is important, right? Because it is. And so I think that, you know, a, a lot of these learnings that we can that can be had from managing chronic disease in other settings can really be applied to oral health. And we can say, yeah, of course, we're going to like continue to work and get data and do studies and all of that stuff. And we can take the cue from those who've gone before us and say, this kind of work is really effective in doing the stuff that we're doing in dentistry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. I love it. And um, I'm, I'd love to learn more. And if somebody else wanted to learn more, where could they go to um, see if this is a good fit for them, maybe have a conversation with you or one of your team members? Yeah, for sure. Uh, our website is differentkind.com. Um, if you want to, you know, talk with us in terms of what this might look like for for dental professionals, if you're curious about motivational interviewing in general or some of those things, I always love to go back to the source material. So Carl Rogers is like some of the like OG like psychologists, clinical psychiatrists that you know did a lot of this work uh, from the University of Chicago. Um, so I love reading some of his books. Uh, but the motivational interviewing website is motivationalinterviewing.org. Um, you can see lots of the you know studies and literature and things like that that are out there in terms of of what that looks like. And I would say in general, like I said, hygiene has done a pretty good job. I know a lot of hygiene schools that are out there that are teaching this kind of stuff. Um, so I, I think we're seeing the shift towards, mm -hmm. hey, this is an important part of being a clinician, uh, especially a modern clinician, as consumer or you know patient demands have changed. Uh, especially post COVID, um, you know, we live in a world where that's just, it's incredibly important. Um, and it's not incredibly important for super, for superfluous reasons. It's important for reasons like we just talked about of, Hey, this impacts outcomes, um, in real ways for both the patient and the clinician. So let's focus on it. Um, so yeah, those would be a couple of the places that I would go. Um, if, if you want to check out more on some of this. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. This was, this was really insightful. I love talking to you today. Thank you for having me. It's a great, great chance to, you know, um, yeah, have, have a conversation and, and hopefully learn from each other. Right. So thanks for. Yeah. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show. 
and visit dentallife.coach for access to additional coaching tools, as well as more episodes to help you create the dental life you truly desire.